Good morning. It is good to worship the name of Jesus, is it not? I mean, you think about the number of ways that we exert our energy throughout the week, and uh, few times do we have such a, a chance to come together as a church body and be encouraged to focus on one thing, on one person, on the Son of God. And so it is good to worship uh, the Lord together with you this morning. I want to ask a question as we uh, open up our time together in God's Word. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, who are you? I mean, if you ask the question of yourself, who are you? It, it, it's a, it can be a fun question to ask. Certainly could be an interesting thing. It's not necessarily a question we oftentimes like to ask. I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid of that answer as to uh, are we something uh, of value and significance or, or are we not? But the question, who are you? A child of God. Good answer. It's true, right? But, but the question is even more specific than that. Who are you? Where, where do you come from? What's your purpose? What's, what, what's the meaning of your existence? All these are good questions to ask. I think, I think on some level, at some point in our life, we all wrestle with these, these bigger questions. There's a, a catechism, this uh, tool that the church has traditionally used called uh, the Westminster Catechism, and, and, and it's a tool that's meant to help us kind of grow in our understanding what does it mean to be a disciple, and then how do I live that out? How do I obey the Word of God? And there's this one question in the Westminster Catechism that asks this similar question. It says, what is the chief end of man? Basically, what's the purpose of mankind? Why are we here? For what purpose do we exist? The, the answer in the catechism is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, they don't just make that answer up. That's actually uh, an answer drawn from Scripture where, where Scripture talks about not only are we from God, but we've been created for God, to glorify him, to live towards his purposes. A, a great question and a chance to look to Scripture to, to know how to answer it. But, but this morning, I want to know, who are you? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and tell me about it. I mean, I appreciate feedback, which is helpful. But, but this is not something that you have to be hesitant to answer because someone's going to ask you to clarify it for you, for you or share that with, with us this morning. This is a question I want you to just think about as we walk through this part of the, the Gospel of John together, as we walk through this story in the life of John. Who, who are you? In this passage that we're going to be coming into this morning, John is actually posed this question. There's a group of religious leaders that come to him. They're concerned about something he's doing, and they're wondering who's given him the authority to do this. And so they say, well, who are you? Where do you come from? What is, what is, your, what is your purpose in doing this? And so John goes through making this list not only of who he is not, but who he is. Kind of curious, can, can you make a list of who you are? Could you actually list out some things that describe who you are? And even those things that, that you're not. Are you a mother, a father, a student, a financial analyst? Are you an artist? Are you a teacher? Maybe a pastor, a, an encourager. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement so you'd see yourself as an encourager. Maybe you're a helper. And maybe you're a leader. Are you a child of God, one who's been redeemed, one who's been forgiven of our sins, a friend of Jesus, a servant of Jesus? Who are you? Again, you don't need to craft the biblical answer for me because I'm not going to actually ask you directly, but in the quietness of your own heart, how would you answer that question? Who are you? In our passage, 
John's going to answer this question for us. And as we pay attention to his answer to that question of who are you, we see his testimony take shape. Not just his testimony, but what we notice is his testimony and pointing to Jesus. Like these signs behind us that, that all tell us something of, of what to expect, what's ahead, how to, what, what the direction we're headed in is, is looking like. So John's life is a testimony. So if you would, I'm going to read for us from the first chapter of the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And this is actually the first verses that come out of what's called the prologue, that kind of historical look back to creation and, and what God's doing and sending his Son of God. Now we're actually getting into more of the narrative piece of the, the gospel of John, the, the story of the life of Jesus through the eyes of the evangelist John. And here, as we pick up in verse 19, we read this, this narrative, this story in the life of John the Baptist, a different John, but a John nonetheless. Let me read for us from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And so they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let me give thanks for God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. That you have chosen to to, to reveal your heart, your plan, your will, your desires, your longing for your people to us through your word. You reveal who you are. God, give us the, the ability to hear you, to, uh, to, to notice you, to be aware of you, to learn to, to grow in our faith in you and trust in you. Lord, may your word speak to our hearts this morning. Your Holy Spirit plant the seed of your word deep into our hearts that it might take root and transform us from the inside out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been going through the book of John, I, I, I want to encourage us to, to be reminded of the purposes, purposes sorry, for what John has written these things down. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we, we looked at the end of the gospel of John together. If you remember when we, we looked at the, those couple of verses at the end that kind of give us a sense of the, the, the lenses through which we can read the gospel of John, kind of explain why John wrote these things down. Why, does he, why is he so concerned to record these things for us? Uh, this is kind of what we would liken to looking to the, the last chapter of a book or, or Googling the ending of a movie before or while we're watching it for a bit intense. I know there's some of us that do that. There is no judgment from here. My wife does it. Uh, she can't stand it if we're watching a movie and it gets a little too intense for her. She makes me pause it. She Googles it. She, she kind of figures out the ending and then she tells me if we can keep going forward with it or not. But... Uh, but this is something that can be very fruitful and very helpful for us. Some of us think, oh, you can't do that. It's going to spoil the ending. But what we learn is that knowing where the book ends helps us 
going back to the beginning and understanding the things that John has done. Remember, these are the words that John wrote in chapter 20. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Later on in chapter 21, he, he goes on to say that, that, that there are many other things that Jesus did and said, but it, there's not enough books in the world to record all the things that he has said and done. See, the, the, the reason why I want us to remember this is that as we look back to this passage, as we understand what's happening in John the Baptist's life, we understand that it's here for a reason. You know, this is a little side note, but as you spend time reading God's word, it's a good practice to ask yourself or to, to pray and ask God, why is this here in the Bible? Of all the things that could be recorded, why is this passage, this narrative, this psalm, this, this prophecy, this, this statement, this history recorded for us in the Bible? It's a good question to ask when there's a list of names in the Bible, which oftentimes is hard to make sense of, right? But it's a good question to sit with and to ask, why is this here in the Bible? Well, John's testimony is here for a reason, and you know what? It, it points us to Jesus. John's ministry, as we'll come to find out, was really all about inaugurating it and it pointing to, kind of introducing Jesus to the people. Kind of like one of those, those people that uh, maybe introduces the President of the United States before he enters a room. John is, is here to do that very thing. And so in his testimony, we see him doing that very thing, pointing to the life of Jesus, not just so that people would know he's in the room, but so that, remember back from chapter 20, that they might believe in the name, the life, the person of Jesus Christ and have life. So let's keep this in mind as we pick up in our passage in verse 19, as we, as we hear the, the Pharisees and the Levites, or the, the I'm sorry, the, the, the Levites and the religious leaders ask John, who are you? They want to know, and it's here for a reason that John would answer them. In reading the question, who are you, it may seem at first glance as an innocent question, just like, oh, hey, how, how are you? Like someone you come up to in coffee, or hey, how are you, what's your name? But, but it's anything but innocent. As we mentioned, John's doing something that, that has struck the religious leaders who are responsible for everything to do with religious life uh, as something odd, that he's stepping outside the bounds of what they've determined. We read in verse 22 of our passage that, that they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. They've been sent to figure out who this John guy is who's baptizing people in the water and teaching them repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 25, they say, why are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, if you are not Elijah, if you are not the prophet, why are you baptizing? They don't want to just know what his name is. They want to understand who this person is, a more personal question, not, not necessarily a, a, an answer to a, a catechism or a, a question that, that we can all answer together. They want to know that personal sense of who are you? What they want to know is where does John get his authority to baptize people here in the Jordan River? See, John was not only baptizing people, but as he taught about this idea of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, th th there was something new to that, that that he was introducing them to. See, the Jews weren't unfamiliar with this act of baptism. Baptism in their days was, was really something that was set apart for those who were being converted to Judaism, converted to becoming a member of the nation of Israel. And so when John is found to be baptizing Jew and Gentiles alike in the Jordan River, there's something different going on, something that they get a sense they, they haven't yet figured out if it's good or bad. 
But there's something going on that's signaling something different is happening. In the, the Gospel of Mark, we're told that John taught this repentance and baptism in, in water for the forgiveness of sins. He says in, in verse 4 of chapter 1, John appeared baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The baptism that John offered was not a baptism of converting people to Judaism. It was a baptism that pointed to something bigger, broader, beyond the nation of Israel. It was kind of like this uh, a sense of, of cleansing that people received, almost like you might feel when you get out of the shower in the morning or you, you feel like a fresh start to your day, maybe after your, the smell of uh, your first cup of coffee in the morning. Whatever it would be, that, that sense of a fresh start. This is that, that freshness that, that John was teaching. And, and in teaching that, he pointed to something that had long ago been predicted. See, long ago through the, the prophet Ezekiel, they, they had... Uh, been told that there would be a day when God would sprinkle their hearts clean with water and place a new heart in them and put his spirit in them. A day was coming that, that, that was symbolic of the end times when, when the Savior would come and, and, and redeem, every, redeem them through the forgiveness of their sins. And so when John preaches forgiveness of sins through repentance and ties it to baptism, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, their, their ears kind of tingle. They say, hey, what's going on here? Is this is this, is this the man, the one that we've been waiting for? Is this the Christ? Or if it's not the Christ, is it Elijah? And if it's not Elijah, oh, maybe it's the prophet. And if it's not any of those, then who is this guy? Where does he come from? John, who are you? Who are you? This is the question that we sit with this morning. John, who are you? Um, and so as he answers the question, his testimony takes shape. And so John's testimony begins not in saying who he is, but in clarifying who he's not, right? Pick up in verse uh, 20 of our passage. He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. See, John is adamant. He is adamant that he is not these people, the ones that they anticipated. Don't believe me? Look at the text. He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed. There's this repetition of, a, of, of this sentiment that John's saying, no, this isn't me. I am not those people that you think I am. He, he's putting it in bold letters. He's underlining it. He's putting it in large print for others to see. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one that you are hoping I will be. I'm, God's, I'm not God's anointed one who will save you. The passage that we're looking at here in the Greek uses the word Christos, which is an, an, adjective, adjective, an adjectival verb, which means it's this description of, of a person that is sent by God, the anointed one, which in Hebrew means the Messiah, right? This is the, the one, that they're, they're kind of ascribing to him the, the sense that, that he is the one that they have been hoping he would be. And he very adamantly says, this is, I am not it. I am not the son of God. See, John's role is to, to point to the Messiah and not to, to be the Messiah. John is messianic. He is not the Messiah. John is one who believes in the Messiah. He believes not only that the Messiah will come, he believes specifically the Messiah has come and he's pointing to him, 
but he himself is not the Messiah. You know, Christians, us, we are messianic, but we are not the Messiah. It's a fine line to draw, but it's an important one, right? We believe in a Messiah. We believe in a Savior. We believe in someone who offers us forgiveness of sins and who can redeem this world and, 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 and save us, but we are not saviors. We are the body of Christ. We are not Christ himself. I love how Paul puts it when he's writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, starting in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So as we think about our lives, as we think about our stories, how we've gotten to where we are now, the things that have happened to us, when we, when we think about all those things, do we consider how our lives underline pointing to Jesus Christ, that we are not the Christ, but, but we believe him to be true. He is coming again. He has come, and he will come again. Do, do, we, do we see that in bold letters, underlined, and, and written in large print in our lives, that we are not the Christ? We are not so great. We are not so amazing. But there is one who is amazing and who is great and who is powerful, and he lives in us. He is, we are, he is a, the treasure that we carry around in these jars of clay being our lives. We are people of the Messiah. We are not the Messiah. John was not the Messiah. He also goes on in our passage to say he's not Elijah. God had promised through the Jewish people that he would send Elijah, the prophet, who they knew in the Old Testament, that, that he would send him again before the great and awesome day of the Lord, when Jesus would come. Malachi, one of the prophets, actually foretells this. He, he, he says that he, he records or or announces God's words to the people that says, where God says, I will send you Elijah before that great and awesome day of the Lord. But John is not Elijah. In fact, actually, John believes he's not Elijah. This is actually, by the way, this is why the Jewish people at the Seder dinner, which we get a chance to celebrate in a, a few weeks, uh, that's why they leave an empty chair at the table. They're waiting for Elijah to come. It's a symbolic anticipation and expectation for Elijah to come. They're looking for him as a sign that Jesus will, or that the Messiah will be here soon, right? And so John says, I am not the Messiah. But interestingly, just something interesting to note, John may deny that he's Elijah, but this is where he and Jesus see things differently, right? John may not have a full understanding of who he is, but Jesus does, Jesus has a perspective of God's plan that, that John apparently doesn't have. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 17. Jesus is walking down the, the mountain after he's transfigured and stands with Moses and with Elijah. And he's coming down talking to his disciples. And he says this in Matthew 17, verse 12 and 13. He says, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then he says this in 13, or then we're told this in 13. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them 
of John the Baptist. Right? John the Baptist didn't realize, didn't understand that, that he played a role like Elijah. That he was the one that came speaking on behalf of God to the people, pointing to the fact that the Messiah had come. But John, or Jesus recognized this. See, John the Baptist was a man just like you and me. He was like you and me with the limitations that we had. And John will actually make this point in just a few verses. But, but for now, we have to admit, or we have to understand, that, that John may not fully understand God's plan, may not fully see it, and yet we stand on, on this side of history where we can see what, what Jesus sees. We can see the role that John the Baptist played. As you think about your life, could you admit that maybe you don't fully understand God's plan in your life? Could you maybe admit that as much as we like to maintain control of our lives, there are things happening in our life that we don't yet fully understand, that we don't yet know how it fits into God's plan and how he will accomplish his plan in us and through us like John was in that moment. See, this is an important part of our understanding of the Christian life. I, I, I get it. We like to know things. We like to put things in a box. We like to feel like we are in control or that, there is, that we can maintain control of things in our lives. But that's oftentimes not the way things go in the Christian life. But what does matter, what, what, what really determines a, a healthy relationship with God is being able to see ourselves, to understand ourselves the way God sees us. Apparently at this point in John's life and ministry, he didn't yet fully know who he was to Jesus, who he was to God. And yet as he grew, we can only hope and pray that he was able to fully understand the role he played in God's unfolding plan. John was not Elijah, at least not in his eyes. And John's also not the prophet. Religious leaders ask John if, if he's the prophet, and he, just, he simply says no. He, he gives up giving them more lengthy uh, response, just leaves it to two letters, no. This co- uh, question comes from way back in Deuteronomy 18, where, where God promises to send a leader, a prophet like Moses, who again will, will speak the words of God to the people of God. And so when, when John is baptizing this, in this new way, not as a way of, of welcoming people into, the, the, people of, uh, into the, the nation of Israel, the people of God, but as a way of offering forgiveness through repentance and the baptism of water, they're, they're left saying, well, is he Moses? Is he, this, is he the, the prophet who is to come that speaks on behalf of God and is introducing us to this new thing? But John knows that as much as the people want him to be the Messiah, he is not. This one who speaks on behalf of God is a role that's left to Jesus himself at this point. Later on in this gospel, chapter 12, uh, we read these words. This is Jesus speaking at this point. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and, and what to speak. See, what we find as we go throughout the, the gospel as we go throughout the, the book of John, we realize that, 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 that Jesus, the Son of God, is the very one who speaks on behalf of, uh, of God. He, he, he speaks on behalf of the Father. 
He, he, he says and does what the Father does. So, so when the, 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 the religious leaders are curious as to who this person is, this, this, this man, John the Baptist, speaking on behalf of God, they wonder, are you the prophet? Are you the one that, that God has promised to send? John knows that he is not the Messiah. Who are you? Well, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet, the one that, that you anticipate. But here's the thing. Knowing who we are not helps us to focus on who we are, right? If we know who we are not and what we are not meant to do and to be, we're able to shift our energies into the area of focus where we are able to, to lean into who we actually are, to understand who we are. Back in college, I remember when I started off my degree in my undergrad, I, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but I felt like I wanted to be a teacher. And so my first declared major was education. And I did that for a semester. And I realized, no, I don't think I'm meant to be a, a teacher. So I pick up a degree in math. I used to love math when I was little, but it was harder as I got older. It didn't, didn't do so well. But I thought, well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I, this is a good place for me to try it out. So I tried a semester of math. Really didn't feel like that was for me. That, actually, that, I didn't take a full semester to learn that one. So then I tried business. I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can get into the business world and understand what business and economics and, and, and get a degree in um, an undergrad in, in business. Didn't really work out that, that well either. Until I found psychology. I love psychology. I love understanding how the human brain works, how, how humans interact and, and, and what, what leads them to do the things they do. I, I love studying that. And so I, I quickly picked this up and ran with it. And I realized that more of who God had made me to, to be as I, as I studied uh, in, in this degree of psychology. But, but it took me being able to rule out these other things that I realized I was not to find out who I really was. It's kind of like what John's doing here, right? It's important to say who he's not so that he can say who he is. John in our passage says, I am not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I am not the prophet. And so because he says, he says who he's not, he can now begin to make his list of who he is. Listen to the last verses of our passage here, in verse, picking up in verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent uh, from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor the prophet, uh, sorry, nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, John testifies that he's simply a man, that he is simply a man who has a mission from God. And as he fulfills that mission from God, he, he, he lives it out in the posture of a servant of the Messiah. These three things he, he, he articulates for us in the passage. He's a man, a human being. He's a person just like you and I, sent from God with a, a specific purpose, a, a mission to live out. 
and to live out in the posture of the servant, uh, a servant of the Messiah. See, when John says in our passage that he, he baptizes with water, he's in essence saying that there's really nothing supernatural about what he's doing. There's nothing supernatural about baptizing people in the water at this point. He, he's merely playing a role where he is to point to God. He, he's a man who's playing a role in God's plan, pointing to the Messiah. He acknowledges his limitations. So the, the generation that followed me was the generation that was told, actually maybe it was even my generation that was told, you can do anything you set your mind to, right? Kind of like remove some of those limitations that are probably healthy to have, that you really can't do anything you set your mind to, but you can do things, you can accomplish things as you persevere and push hard, right? But, but John acknowledges his limitations. He realizes he can't do anything he sets his mind to because he is a created one. He is not the creator. He, he realizes that in his relationship with God, he is created by God. He is not God himself who created other things. And so John acknowledges in saying that he baptizes with water. It's a statement that he makes that, that the listeners who, who were standing around would have heard and understand him saying, listen, I'm just a man. I, I baptize with water. But let me point you to someone who's greater than I am. God is the source of John's authority and power and his purpose, right? It's not John himself. And so John is, is a man, but he's also a man on a mission from God. Luke says it most directly in, in the uh, third chapter of Luke. He says, or we're told, during the high priesthood of Annas and uh, Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. God had given John a, a, a mission. The word of God came to him while he was in the wilderness, and as a result, he would go out and, and baptize people, teaching them of this repentance that offers forgiveness of sins. This was from God. This is not something that John said, hey, I'm gonna, I, I've got something I want to say I'm going to accomplish and do in my own power, my own strength. It, it's a role that God has uniquely given to John at this point in history. Unique in the sense that this has been anticipated for a long time. This is something that the, the prophet Isaiah was recorded as, as saying uh, about 700 years before Jesus was born. He, he said uh, that, that there would be a, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And so John is that unique man that has fulfilled that promise from God so long ago. The imagery that, that Isaiah depicts for us of, of making straight the way of the Lord was, was this imagery that we, uh, that we have in mind before there were roads, right? I mean, I don't know, it's really hard for us to imagine what this, what this area would have looked like before 95 was there, or the Merritt Parkway, or, or Black Rock Turnpike, or any of those places. But if you can imagine a time before any of those roads were, kings were oftentimes, when they would arrive in their chariot, the, people would have to make a, a road for them to come in on their royal chariot. They would flatten out the, 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 the ground, and they would make it straight so that when the, the chariot would come in, it would be a smooth ride for the king to enter into the area. 
This is similar, actually, to what happens in a few weeks on Palm Sunday when people lay down their cloaks on the road. It's symbolizing this king's entrance into Jerusalem. Here, John proclaims the king's arrival in being that voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John's been given a, a unique mission. He is not... Uh, he is not God himself. He is not the Messiah. He is not Moses. He's not, he's not Elijah. He is a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So when we think about that question, who are you? Do your lives point to Jesus? Uh, do, you, do you make straight the way of the Lord in your world, in your reality, in your, your day-to-day living, the relationships of the people in your life? Do you, do you point others to Jesus and say, hey, make straight the way of the Lord. Look, the king is coming. He's coming to you. He's coming to me. This was John's mission, to point to Jesus. Lastly, John was a, a servant of Jesus. He, was, he took the role, the posture of one who was serving the Messiah, Right? In, in those days, in that society, a student of a teacher had such humility that they would do whatever the teacher asked them to do, except take the teacher's shoes off, right? That, that, was, that was a role set aside. The, the feet were set aside for, for slaves, right? For, for those even lower in society. But, but for a, a student, they would do whatever the, the teacher asked of them except untie their shoes. So when John, in our passage, says that I baptize with water, but among you stands one who, who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not even worthy to untie, he, he is in, in essence saying that he is a servant of the Messiah, that his role is one to, to serve the, the purposes, the mission, the, the, the arrival of the Messiah. And so this is what John does while living out in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, wearing camel hair, living, you know, in seclusion, basically. Living as a servant of the Messiah that he might be the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. You know, I have to wonder, as I think about that question in my own life, could this be said of of me? Am I a, a servant of the Messiah? I mean, I get it. It's probably, it's probably easiest for me as a pastor to, say, to answer that question, right? Because, I mean, I'm, I, I'm paid to stand up here and, and preach from the Word of God, right? I'm, I, this is my, my career, right? But the reality is that this is a question that we all have to ask. Am I, is my life postured in such a way of a servant? Do, do I serve the purposes of God? Do I, do I serve his, his plan? Or am, am I in some senses serving my own purposes, my own plan, my own pleasures? See, John, John knew that he wasn't the Messiah. He, he knew that he wasn't Elijah. He wasn't uh, the prophet. He was a, a man. He, he was a human being like you and I, being faithful to what God had called him to do and, and living out the, the posture of a servant. Is that true of you and I this morning? As we, as we close out our time together, I want to ask that question again. Who are you? 
And, and in the most personal way, I would challenge you to think about that question this week. To, to go away, with, take your Bible, your journal, find a quiet place and, and really ask God that question. God, who am I? What, what would you have me do? Now, I get it. We are children of God. We are redeemed by the Savior. We are, we are, we are part of the family of God. We all have a mission to be a witness for Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. But there's a more personal, more specific way to answer that question in your life. And, and as you begin to answer that question, your own testimony will take shape. As you begin to answer the question, who am I? I'm a man. I, I have a mission. What, what is my mission? I could tell you, and I have told you, I feel confident that God has called me to be a shepherd, to, to play a role in helping to, to lead and care for the people of God here at Trinity. But that's not going to be everyone's same mission. God's going to call you to be a witness in your family. For some of you, it's a matter of, of, of being an example of Christ to your family members that they too might be drawn to the light and the love and the grace and the compassion and the mercy and the the faithfulness of God through Jesus Christ alive in you. You, are a, a, you. you carry around this treasure in this jar of clay. Maybe your mission is to your family. Maybe, maybe your mission is, is within your, your workplace. I know a number of dads in our town here in Fairfield who are committed to being a good example to their children, who are involved in sports and Cub Scouts and different organizations. Maybe your, your mission is to be, <clears throat> to be a, a light for Christ in that group of men, those fathers. What, where are you a witness? How are you pointing to Jesus? There's a specific way that God is asking you to point to him. But, but he's got to reveal that to you. And so I would encourage you this week, take some time, sit, ask God, God, who am I? And then understand he's calling you out to, to live as his servant. John introduced people to Jesus and pointed to him. How does God want you to do that through the uniqueness of your life, your circumstances, your situation? You have a story to tell about your life. And, and, and you know what? If you let him, God will draw people to himself through you. Trinity, I would love to see that happen in the weeks and months and years to come. That through your lives, people will be drawn to God. Because you have boldly taken the time set apart to ask God, who am I? How am I called to point to you? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have, Lord, that you desire to use us. Lord, in, in leading us to that place of understanding our limitations as, as a man, just as John was, show us grace, please. Not that we would berate ourselves or beat ourselves or, or put ourselves down, but we would see ourselves the way you see us, as children, your children, prepared to be used by you to accomplish what you desire to accomplish in and through our lives. That we would be fragile jars of clay carrying around inside of us these treasures Father, we thank you that, that you desire to use us and that we have this light uh, present in our lives. 
May you be known. May we glorify you by making you known, by pointing to you, just as John the Baptist did, through giving his testimony to those religious leaders. Lord, may we make much of you. May we hold up your name. May we point to you more and more this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.